They may betray us, but Lord, You never, ever will. You're the strongest ally and the most powerful friend someone could ever have. And we thank You, Lord, that You know always what's best for us, that Your wisdom is beyond our understanding, that Your goodness is pure through and through. Every thought You think towards us is good. Everything You bring into our life is for a good reason. And every day You're watching out for us. You're watching our back. You're watching our front. You're watching our sides. We ask You, Lord, tonight that You'd give us hearts to hear Your Word. We ask You, Lord, that You'd touch our lives through the things You have for us this evening. We pray that You'd give us greater insight tonight as we discuss a spiritually balanced life, as we begin to look a little more in detail at just how to live out the priorities of God and what those priorities are as we break them down. Guide our night, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to assume that most of you were here the last two weeks. So I'm not going to go into review other than to say that last week we covered some heavy principles. And as I reflected during this week, I wanted to make sure a couple things that no one walked out of your misunderstanding. Saving money is not sin. First thing I wanted you to understand. Just in case someone thought that was laying up treasure in heaven. The Bible tells us that a wise man saves something from what he makes but a fool spends everything he gets. That's what Proverbs says. <clears throat> There's a reason to save. Make sure you have a reason to save. But saving out of fear, hoarding every single thing you have, is sin. As Billy Graham once said, it's okay to make a million dollars or ten million. It's just wrong to keep it. <laughs> Let me show you a verse in... Uh, in Timothy, this is First Timothy chapter six. Verse seventeen says this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, <clears throat> not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, <clears throat> who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, you may say to yourself, that isn't me. I'm sure glad it wasn't written to me. Because I'm not rich. Well, I want to take you back just a little bit to what I told you last week. You are richer, every single one of you in this room, than 95% of the rest of the world. If almost anybody from another country came to see how you live, they would think you had money out your ears. Don't ever forget that. It could be from Europe. 
could be from China, it could be from South America, it could be from Africa, from almost any other place in the world. The majority of those people would think you've got it really, really good. So riches is a relative thing, isn't it? Paul didn't say, now Timothy, command those who make $15,000 a year or more, <laughs> command those with stocks, bonds, and annuities, Command those who are definitely millionaires or above. <clears throat> Turn to Hebrews for a moment. Look, again, we're just trying to get perspective here for a moment, okay? I don't want you to lose sight of this. In Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I am not afraid. What can man do to me? And there's the theme again. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Paul also writes in, um, in Timothy, if I can find it here offhand, in another passage he says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothes, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In context, you could read this sort of like this. If you have food and clothing, be content. For those of you who want more will fall into temptation and a trap. Boy, that's kind of cutting, isn't it? It kind of cuts to the core. God has richly blessed this country unlike any other place in the world and unlike any other civilization in the history of man. No matter what you see on the news, no matter how bad people tell you it is, they got rocks for brains. They don't want you to realize that every one of you, almost every one of you, if you lived right now in Honduras, you could afford servants. Not only could you afford servants, you could afford someone to guard your house with an M16 and sit on the curb all day long for you. With about a dollar a month, two dollars a month, It'd blow your mind. So it's imperative that you realize, Lord, you're speaking to me. You're speaking to me. Alright? <clears throat> now, I realize as well that there are some Christians who are very wealthy. And God isn't particularly speaking to them because 
we don't live in a third world country. We live in the United States. So some of you definitely have hardships financially. I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm trying to give you a big picture perspective to help you be thankful that you've got food today. I drove, when I was in Honduras, I drove by, I mean thousands, men and women, thousands and thousands upon thousands of people right outside the city that live on hills, these hills, these big hills, with banana huts for houses and the little children walk out of them and wash in a ditch and go to the bathroom in the ditch and drink out of the ditch. And I mean thousands of them. So by comparison, yes, we're wealthy, but I realize many of you are trying to make ends meet because in America you got to pay American bills and for American gas and so, you know, there's inflation, there's all those kind of things. I'm just trying to help you get perspective. I realize that many of you by American standards are not rich. Maybe you're middle class and some of you may economically be below that. So I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to make you feel such a terrible person because I... I'd like to make a dollar an hour or more. Right? Hope to get a raise. Listen, if someone came up to me, well, it wouldn't, they couldn't get me away from here. So, we'll use you. If, some, <laughs> if someone came up to you and said, listen, now how much are you making an hour right now? I'm making $15 an hour. Listen, I'll pay you $40 an hour to do the same work. Well, a wise man would take it. <laughs> If it was the same situation, you weren't asked to be doing anything unrighteous, then wisdom would say, look, if I can work 40 hours a week for $15 an hour, or 40 hours a week for $30 an hour, I'll take more. <laughs> now, not so I can necessarily hoard it all to myself, but the Lord wants me to be a faithful steward, and I want to be a faithful steward of my time, and this would allow me to support the gospel even more. Yes, it might allow you to pay some of your bills better, and that's a good thing too. But often our mentality is $15 more. Why? We give our two weeks notice, we'd go out and spend more than we usually spend, and we'd already be in debt by the time we start our $15 or $30 an hour a week job because we're so excited we're making more money. That's not how God wants us to live. That's my point. Okay? And these verses, um, I used to think about these all the time when I was living in the trailer with my wife and my three children. None of the windows would open because they were all the latches were broken. The roof leaked. We had a yard that was 10 feet wide by 30 feet or 40 feet long and the trailer was 30 years old and it was $73 a month in lot rent. Tells you what kind of trailer it was. I used to think about that. Lord, I got a roof over my head it's fairly warm in the winter, except when the pilot light goes out and takes me three hours to reignite it. <clears throat> we can't run the washer and the dryer at the same time we'll blow fuses. And we only have an 11-gallon water heater for five people. But Lord, I'm really glad I can pay the bill and I can live here and, and we have food for our stomach. And I'm glad. But most importantly... I have godliness with contentment. And that's great gain. That's what we need to remember. That's great gain. When I, I know the ways of God, I'm going after God, and I'm content. Man, it's all the commercials. I don't care. You're not going to tempt me with Alexis. 
it's going to rust just like any other car. Someone's going to ding the door. Someone's going to scratch it. Someone's going to spill something on the interior and you're going to be crushed. It's going to depreciate. And they're going to come out with a better model two years from now anyway. They're already planning on it right now. Well, you have to come to my quality of life series. I'm going to start a week from this week. Improving your quality of life without spending a dime. And I'll be talking about some of those things on our weekend services. But we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that real life comes from living God's way and just simply being content. And it's like we're an alien on this planet. It doesn't even bother us. It's, it just doesn't, it doesn't phase us. We're content. Those who want to get rich fall into a terrible trap. And the Bible's full of that. Remember that, alright? It's not wrong to have a retirement plan. Can I just comment on that for a moment? Because I really don't want people here misunderstanding what Mark Gong is trying to say because I get misquoted and misconstrued fairly often, especially when I start getting hardcore, see? Like last week. <laughs> just so you know, I have a retirement plan. Except I'm not planning on retiring. Okay? I do it basically for two reasons. One, in the event something really happened to me physically, I would not want the church, you, the body of Christ, when I reach 60, 65, to have this oppressive burden to take care of me when I can no longer provide a service. Secondly, because I mean this really truly, I plan on working at least on as old as Billy Graham. I'm staying in better shape. <laughs> and if the Lord tarries and my health holds out, I'll still be sharing with you or others when I'm 75. And that's well 10, 15 years longer than most people retire. So i got a lot of years to let this thing build up, see. The other reason I'm doing it is that I might be able to give my children a leg up because I'm planning on using some of that money as well when they're in their early 30s or late 20s, to be able to help them out. I can tap into that when I understand when I'm 59, and that's 20 years away. 20 years, I'll have a daughter, 36, a son, 35. My little boy will be 26. So, um, you know, or if I don't need it for that, I'll just give it to somebody a little at a time. <laughs> so, I really want to make that clear. You know, it's not wrong to plan ahead. It's not wrong. Someone came up to me tonight and said, Is that, you know, if I'm going to do what you said, does that mean I buy a junky car? But, but that's a good question because when I first started following the Lord, that's what we all did. I mean that. All my cars were $200 cars. And then I drove them to the junkyard and left them and got $20 for them and went for another $200 car. <laughs> but that's also all I could afford. So, so it seemed natural to me. It doesn't mean that, but it also doesn't mean that we go out and buy the dream car we've always dreamed of. You know that Ferrari? That GT3000? That BMW we've always wanted for prestige? We're wise. It means we're wise. It means we use our head. It means we get counsel. We get advice. And we think about what do we really need and what are we going to use it for? So... If you own one of those cars, it's okay. You do it as under the Lord, fine. I'm just trying to help you out, all right? Okay, 
I'm not going to go over any more of those things. We're going to get into some other things here tonight, all right? I just wanted to make sure no one went out and sold off all their stocks. Maybe it's too late. Because I read the verse that says, Do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth. The point that it's saying is not that you should plan or think ahead, but that you're caught up with it and you're just hoarding and hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. And I know many people like that. And I know many Christians like that. We're just caught up. We're just saving for our own pleasure. This should be a purpose and a, and a significant reason, even a biblical reason, for why and what we're doing with our income. <clears throat> okay, tonight, practically what does it mean to live our lives to please the Lord? Last week I told you that our priority in life, God's standards, we live our life to please the Lord. I told you that we don't own ourselves, that our life is under new ownership. We've been bought with a price, Corinthians says. Therefore, glorify God with the way you live, in your body, with your time. Everything is for Him. But that's pretty general. I want to get real specific tonight. Okay? I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, and verse 7. Paul is writing here and he says this, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul is not caught up in some aesthetic, religious, spiritual moment here. He's now all of a sudden having this out-of-body spiritual experience saying, Oh, I just want to know Christ. And I just, oh, everything's rubbish to me. But it doesn't apply to you. That's not what Christ, or what Paul is saying here, not what Christ is trying to say through Paul. Paul is setting a standard for us. He's letting us know that what is of supreme importance in our lives when it comes to pleasing the Lord is that we are people that seek God. That we are individuals who want to know Him and will pay any price to get to know Him. We'll give up anything to get closer to Him. If He points to something in our lives and He shows us, hey, you love this more than you love me, we would gladly reprioritize our life or get rid of it out of our life. I had a, a young man who came to know the Lord about six months ago and just what a joy. God has just been doing amazing things in his life. Really amazing things. Just on fire. Like somebody lit this young man on fire for Christ. Wants to share his faith. He shares his faith. He just growing, coming to everything he can, reading everything he can in the Word to grow. Well, he had a... Called me on the phone. He had a whole stack of... CDs of all kinds of music 
not the most uplifting. And, and that's why he was calling me. He said, you know, Mark, it just dawned on me, I get all this music. Man, I used to live for this stuff. I used to listen to it all the time. I'd come home, that's what I'd do. Now I'm not sure what to do. He said, to be honest, I think I should just throw it all away. Because God's showing me that it, it can interfere with my walk with Him, and it may even be more important to me than Him. So, having lived a Christian life for a number of years, uh, if He would have called me 19 years earlier, I would have said, right on, man, trash it. Let's burn it all. <laughs> and it's about $1,000 worth of CDs. Um, age has taught me a little something, and I said, well, you know, I have a better idea. Why don't you take it down to the CD exchange? He says, well, I thought of that, but I don't know if I want anyone else to have the trash. Now, that's a very good thing to think, isn't it? Now, it's pornography, we'd burn it. See, but I, I told him, I said, well, well, that's a good point, and if that's what your conscience tells you to do, then my advice is follow your conscience. But, I'll tell you this, probably most of what you had, and he told me some of the things, isn't all, it's just, you know, secular music, and uh, people are going to buy it anyway. So, why don't you go turn it in and get as much as you can and use it to go on that outreach uh, to Guatemala that you've been wanting to go on. It could help fund that. Or you could give it to someone else in need. So, oh, oh, I never thought of that. I said, well, that might be a positive use for that. So, that's what he did. I was so touched by an individual who's serious about their walk with God. Paul was serious. What does he say? This is the point. Whatever is to my profit, I consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to Christ. I consider them rubbish. For whose sake I have lost all things. The word literally means a pile of poop. I won't use the literal word. That's what it means. It means I consider everything just a dung heap in view of knowing Christ. I will allow nothing nothing and no one to get in the way of my pursuit of God to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. Now let's break that down then. What does that mean? That means on a daily basis. I'm going to try to help you understand these priorities then on a daily basis. That means I'm devoted to God's Word. No more excuses for not reading your Bible, okay? Can you write that down on your sheet? I will make no more excuses for not reading the Bible. It's pathetic and I'm done with excuses. You will never get close to God if you don't read what God has to say to you. Do you want to know the key to intimacy in any relationship? It isn't sex. It is communication. You feel close to those you talk to the most and those who you allow to talk to you. I occasionally go, I meet with other Christians, I meet with other pastors, and there's one group of pastors I meet with on a regular basis, probably five, six, seven times a year. And we're in prayer, we usually spend a day and a half praying, sharing the Word. And I'll hear some of the same guys pray, Oh Lord, I just acknowledge to you, I, I just have been seeking you like I need you. I've been more caught up in ministry than in you, and I've just, oh Lord, just changed that. And you know, this is like the 25th time I've heard that. I go up to my brother, I say, Brother, 
Praise God for your heart. Can I give you a little advice? Why don't you quit praying and go home and do something about it this time so the next time we're together praying, you don't have to pray that anymore. You can honestly say to yourself, I'm doing it. Why, why should I have to pray? Oh, Lord, uh, help me. I just, I know I shouldn't steal. Just stop stealing. Lord, you know, help me. I just to eat breakfast more regularly. I only, I only do it once a month. And I only, I only eat period once a month. And why don't you stop praying and just eat? Boy, brother, sister, we've got the Spirit in us. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, I think it's 1.7, that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Now, if you really want to get to know God, if you're really serious about wanting to get to know God, then get in the book. Okay? Now, one of the things you may have to do is turn off the boob tube. See? That may be, you, may, you may think to yourself, well, okay, now when am I going to fit that into my busy schedule? I realize you're all busy, but i got a feeling you're not quite as busy as I. But you may be. And I remember what it was like to work in the secular field. And I remember what it was like to be a dad, because I still am, and have little kids that needed my time. I also remember what it was like to work 70 hours a week, because that's what I had to do for many years, to provide for my family and get us out of debt. Besides working those 70 hours a week, I led our band. Then I went to the band practices and showed up at the band. And I did a small group with 30 people. And I was doing counseling with people. And I was trying to be a father. I was trying to reach out to my neighbor. So I understand balancing all those things. But I can tell you this. Nothing ever came in my way of going out to get alone with God. And I'll tell you when I did it. Now, I had a unique situation. I'd be the first to admit this is unique. You don't all have this situation. But I had a sales job, see? And it was straight commission. Now, straight commission, and if you're as broke as I were, you'd think the best thing to do is make as many calls a day as you can. Because you make more money, right? And I could get more for my family, right? That seems logical. So I made a commitment. The Lord, I'll make ten calls a day. I knew that was that would meet the requirement they had, and I'm going to trust you to use those ten calls. And I had to be back in the office every day at, at four in the afternoon. So during the mid-afternoon, about an hour, sometimes two, I'd go out. I took I only took really short lunches, you know, ten minutes. It didn't take long to eat at all. It really doesn't. Just bump and you ate, you know. <laughs> And I would go to this park in Ames, Iowa called Brookside Park. And way, way to the back of the park was this old stone shelter that had been there for 50, 60, 70 years. No one ever came back there. And I would go back and I would pace that floor and I would pray. And I would pray over my life and I would pray that God would help me to know Him more. And I pray over the things that are happening now. And I prayed over my family and I prayed over my business. I figured, you know, the most important person if you're a salesman to call in anyway is God. Because He's the one from whom all blessings flow. He's the one who greases the wheels out there anyway in that crazy dog-eat-dog world. And in the first year, my business doubled. They had never seen sales like that in that store. And I tell you right now, no matter what the pressures were, no matter what other things I thought I might want to do, I went after God. I went after God. I went after God. And my night job, my night job was working at a video arcade. And that's a little humbling for some of you. It was a little humbling. I was 
27, 28, 29 years old. I'm making change for college kids. I'm just a glorified babysitter. 20 hours a week. Late in the night. All this crazy stuff. And I'd take my little Walkman and I'd listen to my tapes. 18 hours a week, I'd listen to my tapes. And in the downtime, I had my Bible there and I'd be reading it. And I deliberately took another job that would give me that flexibility. I was only making gross $13,500 a year. And that was in 1980, 81, 82, 83, 84. Taking care of three children and a wife. And I'll tell you some of the richest days of my life. Those habits have not left me. I still seek the Lord. The number one priority of my life is to know God. To know Him, to know Him, to know Him, to love Him, to worship Him privately, to thank Him, to walk with Him, to be with Him. That means then some very practical things in your life. It means you're in the book, no more excuses. You figure out a plan, get yourself a one-year Bible, get a living Bible, get a message Bible, get an NIV Bible. I have all of them. I have an Amplified Bible. And sometimes when my NIV Bible gets just a little dry or it doesn't seem to be hitting me, I'm praying while I grab the Amplified Bible. I grab the Phillips Bible. I grab my Living Bible. I start reading that passage over in that and ask God to speak to me. I commit passages of it to my memory. I'd be the first one to... We must admit to ourselves, folks, we live in a society of deadheads. lazy brain people. If we're not entertained, we just don't know what we're going to do. Our concentration span is about three minutes. It's one of the reasons couples have such a hard time communicating. Sometimes it's just work. It's work to talk when you're in love and all these hormones are flying and you just, that's all you live for, it's one thing. But now when you go to work all day and you got kids in the mix and you come home and you're tired, it's just plain work to talk. It's work to listen. And besides, TV's more entertaining than our wife. TV's more entertaining than our husband. Or, or you know what's more dangerous than both in my view today? And if you're in this business, don't take this personal because I'll try to explain this. The computer, the internet. It will be far more deadly to human relationships than TV ever dreamed of being. And do you know why? Because we live with the conviction that it's actually productive. We know TV's not. Computers will be deadlier. The net will be deadlier. The World Wide Web will be deadlier. I'm not saying you shouldn't own a computer. I think they have tremendous useful purposes. But men and women, you better make sure who is in control of your life and that you are in control of your life or you'll get sucked into that little room and nobody's going to see you. And you're going to be bugged when someone interrupts you. There's a word. Now oh, I'll get to that. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. <laughs> Let me tell you another little secret I've learned in life. I have also made it my goal, my wife and I, she's in with me heart and soul in this, to live a simplistic life. And not to fill my life with lots of possessions and luxuries. And I want to tell you why. When you fill your life with things, mysteriously so, they each have their own voice. And that voice calls out to you, play me, play me, play me. 
use me, use me, use me. Don't let me collect dust. You invented, you invested a lot of money in this boat, boat, boat. <laughs> these jet skis, jet skis, jet skis. The three thousand dollar CD player, CD player, CD player. And the list could go on and on. And I'm not saying again that it's wrong to own any one of those things. I'm just telling you, you better be really, really, really careful because they'll own you. And your whole life, if you step back and look at it, is, I'm playing with my boat, I'm playing with this, I'm playing with that, and I go to bed. And I go to work. And I can't wait to get home. And I'm playing with this, and I'm playing with that, and I'm playing softball, wishing I was young again, can't wait to get a few home runs, I'm playing four stinking nights a week, and that's pathetic. That's pathetic. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you some of the reasons why it's pathetic. But none, none is more pathetic than the fact that the world all around you is full of spiritual refugees that are beat up, oppressed, bleeding, and cut, and they need your attention. God is not going to magically come down on the planet and start doing what Jesus did. He left us here to do it. You want to see what Jesus' days were filled with? They were filled with people. Those were His priorities. The Father and people. His relationship with God, he spent nights in prayer, and people, the saved and the lost, and God. Those were his three priorities. And if you are going to be obedient to God, those must be your three priorities. Are you disobedient to God? And you'll never have a spiritually balanced life. You'll never have a fulfilling life. Let me tell you another little story to illustrate this. When God saved you, He recreated you, and He designed you for something super spectacular. Alright? What do you think it would be like if Barry Switzer decided that Emmett Smith would make a good offensive tackle? I mean, he just convinced him. And Emmett comes up and says, yeah, you know, I've been thinking the same thing. Hey, I've always wanted to be an offensive tackle. Do you think Emma would be very fulfilled? Think about it. Do you think the team would do real well? Knowing what you know? No, of course not. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a finely crafted uh, surgeon's knife, scalpel, made out of the finest steel in the world. And you were designed for the most delicate of surgery. Somebody buys you and uses you at a grocery store to cut open boxes and put cans on the shelf. Now, if you had feelings, which they don't, but if you had feelings and you were that little blade, would you have a happy life? You'd be screaming out, I was made for more than this! I was made for something special! Now, Christian, you were made for something special. And until you start living for what God made you for, you will never be fulfilled. That's my point. You'll never experience the fullness, the fulfilling, abundant life God has for you till you decide to order your life on the priorities and foundations that God has for you. But first of all, seeking God, which also means you spend time praying. And it takes time. 
I've shared this with you for nine years now. Many of you that have been coming. For others, five. We've got to become people who are accustomed to prayer. Who are used to prayer. And I'll tell you there's some encouraging signs seeing this happening. Last weekend, our, all of our small group leaders, as many as could, there was about a hundred which thrilled the pants off of me. We had a night and a whole day, Friday night and Saturday, of prayer and fasting together for all of you, for this church. And man, it was exhilarating. In the 20 years I've been following the Lord, it was the best prayer meeting I've been to. It showed me something. It showed me people are really taking to heart. They're learning to pray. They're becoming accustomed to seeking God. It was an exciting time. We need to be men and women who learn to take 10, 15 minutes each day. Pray. Or at times, maybe on a Saturday, you get up instead of all the errands, you go out alone. Husbands, you give your wife time to be out alone. To spend just uninterrupted one, two hours, three for some of you. Just with the Lord. Just you and God on a date. Giving Him your worries, your burdens, thanking Him. Praying, giving Him your requests, your petitions. Okay, so that's priority number, big priority. Now I want you to go to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says this, starting with verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. All authority could mean a lot of things. It does mean a lot of things. One of the things it means is, I have the right to tell you what to do because I'm running the show. I'm running the show, see? I rose from the dead. I paid for you. I bought you. You're mine. Okay? So here's the deal. Go and make disciples. Disciple means a learner, literally. But it also comes from the word discipline. Did you know that? It means, it's, it's like to disciple yourself in. Discipline yourself in my ways. Follow me. So go and make followers of all the nations. He, he didn't say, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. I, you know, I want you to go to your hometown. He said, guys, here's my plan. I want you eventually, I want you going all over the world. The world. And I want you to make followers of every type of individual because my message is open to the whole world. Black, white, red, or yellow, rich, or poor. No matter what language a person speaks, Christ died for all of them. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? Baptize signifies. It signifies you're under new ownership. It signifies that you died with Christ and buried under the water and you've been raised to newness of life. It's not salvation. It's just significant. In those days, when someone bought slaves, in those days they still bought and sold people, they would take them and baptize them in a river in the owner's name. They would use the word baptize for clothing. I'm going to go baptize my clothes today, which meant I'm going to go wash them, which meant I'm going to immerse them in the water. And God wanted them to go and baptize the converts, those who decide to follow the Lord. I'm going to baptize you. You're under new ownership. And then teach them to do everything I told you guys to do. In other words, 
It carries on generation after generation after generation after generation. Whatever the passion, the twelve were passionate about, we are passionate about. Now, the beauty of that is we have the book of Acts, we have the epistles, and we can see just how they lived, which means that's how the Lord wants us to live. Not only is Jesus our mentor, but the Apostle Paul is our mentor. And whatever was his priorities are to be our priorities. The world is on God's heart. I, you all know this verse in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world. Literally, what does it mean? For God so loved people. That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. The world is on God's heart. Now I want to ask you something. I want you to be really honest with yourself. Most of us, I would say, think to ourselves, I'm close to God. I know the Lord. I'm close to God. If you're close to God... How often are people on your heart? How often does what you see going on in our society, how often does a neighbor, does a situation that someone at work uh, that they're going through, how often does that ever tug at your heart? That'll help reveal a little bit to you just how close you really think you are to God because you know why? If you're close to God, then what matters to God matters to you a whole lot. And often, brother and sister, often, the reason we have a hard time being bold with people, and I'm not talking about the gift of evangelism here either, by the way. If you and I are people who look out on the world, and even, for that matter, are brother and sister in Christ, and have a desire to help, I want to do something, and we, we attempt, we may fail, but we attempt. And we don't feel a compulsion for that. You're not real close to God and I would encourage you to get closer and know Him more. So that His heart could begin to press on your heart. So that what's important to Him would be important to you. If you knew my wife and I um, well and, and we were telling you we love each other but you know everything that mattered to Kathy didn't matter to me at all. I could care less. She's up a crook without a paddle. You could honestly say, honestly, you know, Mark doesn't really love his wife. He doesn't really love his wife. She doesn't mean all that much to him. Or vice versa. If what really mattered to me, if it really mattered to her, we're not on the same team, then you could say, you know, they really don't have a good marriage and you'd be right, we don't. Because what matters to me doesn't really matter to my wife. We're really not all that close. And the same thing is true of us and God. And as we get close to God, He starts rubbing off on us. See, that's the beautiful thing. He starts rubbing off on you. You can't help yourself. You want to love the world. As you begin to see that priority, Lord, the world's on your heart. I couldn't even begin to describe to you how much the world's on the Lord's heart. But maybe, maybe just a few illustrations to help you grasp this. The thing that Christ and God hated most, Jesus became, and that's sin. Jesus became sin on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the last verse says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know, you think about that for a moment, some pathetic criminal, some individuals that sin, the most repulsive deed you can imagine. Would you be willing to go take their name and their place in prison and let them have your good name 
kind of like the old movie Trading Places. And, and let them just kind of live your life and while you take their pathetic life and you're considered a murderer and a whatever. That's what God did for you and I. That's what He did for us. And you know what? We didn't even want Him to. We could have cared less. The world doesn't appreciate what the Lord does for them. They don't appreciate they have Christmas vacation because of Jesus. They don't appreciate they have Easter because of Jesus. They're just going out to work. You don't thank Him. We ignore Him. The Lord still loves Him. And if it was necessary, it's not. But if it was necessary that He'd do it again, He'd come down today. And He'd let us beat Him up, rip the beard out of His face, smack Him around, and hang Him up on a cross all over again. He didn't need to, because one time was enough. His blood can forgive and remove all the crud, all the guilt, all the shame of any person's life. And He can change it. And He can fill them with love and joy and peace and real happiness. Think for a moment. If you knew the cure for cancer, absolute, any kind of cancer, you have it. What kind of person would you be you never shared it. You just sat on it at home. Or what's even worse, you went out and charged everybody $100,000 a person so they could get well. Or you get rich off other people's misery. We've got the cure for what ails every single person. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge of God Himself. That's the Word of God. We can change the world. That's why the Lord left us here now. That's going to take time, isn't it? That's going to take our life. Well, that's what the Lord is asking for. Whoever comes after me and does not lose his life, Jesus said, cannot be my disciple. Whoever keeps his life, Jesus said, will lose it. Whoever loses it will really find it. God wants your life. So that means then, on a practical daily basis, all right, I want to just get into practically what this means. It means that we keep the big picture in mind every single day. Now, I can—I really mean this. For 20 years and counting, I have kept the big picture in the forefront of my mind. That's the primary reason I wanted to get into ministry. I'm not saying you have to keep the big picture in mind, but for me, I knew that's part of what I needed to do. But I always kept it in mind. It's, it's one of the main reasons I never got super mega discouraged when we were so broke, when things were so hard, when Kathy's parents hated my guts, when we could never go buy anything new. It's okay, Lord. It's okay. I know why I'm here. I got the big picture in mind. It's why I didn't go take, when I had the opportunity, to take a big, expensive, well-paying sales job that would have taken me from the church from my service to Christians and from outreach into loss would have taken me from my family for four nights a week. I didn't take it when I could have made $50,000 a year instead of thirteen five because I knew God had a plan. I'm sticking with my plan. Nothing will cause me to deviate from this plan. I always remember the big picture. There are millions and billions of people dying and they're going to hell. And God wants to use me to reach them. And I'm not going to allow anything to dissuade that in my life. I won't do it. 
Now, if I could have got a job in town that would have paid a good wage, I would have taken it. That, that, like I said earlier, nothing wrong with making a good wage. But it's what I would have cost me. And I refuse to pay that cost. One of the things that keeps me desperate for God, you, some people ask me, Mark, what is it? You know, you just seem so enthusiastic. Is it natural? Not necessarily. I can be a very moody person and I can tend towards being more pessimistic than optimistic, which also means grumpy and whiny and, you know, just yuck. Down in the dumps. That's mostly how I was before I came to the Lord. It's not been an easy thing to break, but you know what keeps me desperately going after God? Desperately is I know He needs me and in order to use me, He's got to fill me. There are people's lives at stake every day. Every day that I come in contact with. And I want to be ready for every believer. First of all, see this twofold. There's there's safe people in the world. There's lost people in the world. I want to be ready for every believer to give them an encouraging word, to give them a smile, to help them, really help them with the problem and know what to say. If you're not in the Word of God, you don't know what to say. If you don't pray for discernment, you don't know what to say. If you don't grow in love, then you're a babbling, loud, noisy gong and you tell people the wrong things even though you think you're quoting the Bible. You really need God. You really need to go after God. It keeps me hot. keeps me seeking Him. I also realize that if I don't seek the Lord... I'm going to run out of series to say, and I'm going to look like a babbling idiot up here one day, and I, I'm really afraid of that. I'm really afraid of boring people. I'm really afraid that one day I'd come out as the Lord's representatives and I'd actually have the most wonderful message in the world uh, you know, that I know about the Lord, but I'm boring people. That, that, that frightens me. Frightens me. I realize that there's a wife and children that are watching me. And that keeps me in fear. In good fear. There's good fear and bad fear. That's good fear. Because the last thing I want is for my children to grow up and say, you know, Dad, you're just a pathetic hypocrite. I don't want anything to do with your Christ, your religion. You didn't mean what you said. You were a bunch of hot air. You were a loud noise. When I wanted to talk, you never had time. I always had to fit into your stupid planning book. And if you were too busy, other people at the church and lost people, they were more important, Dad, than me. Yes, I wanted to get to family. Your family's really important. Your relationship with your spouse is the most important human relationship you have. Your children are the second most important human relationship you have. And so, yes, you need to balance time with your family. And as you're going to learn, as you go on in life, it takes quantity to get quality. Don't be telling yourself we're going to get quality time tonight. In one little hour a week, you try to get quality time, it won't happen. It takes quantity to get quality. Last week, we came home, and every Thursday morning, I have a real early meeting so I get up at 5. Some of you get up that early every day. But for me, I'm pretty wiped after tonight. Believe it or not, try this sometime. Just go home sometime. Really do this. Go home and give a message to the four walls in your basement where no one can hear for an hour. Talk for an hour. Get really enthusiastic. See how you feel when you're all done. I go home. I'm starving. It's usually late. We don't leave here till about 10. I'm saying goodbye to people. We come home and we're sitting in the living room and my son wants to have a deep conversation. And I'm thinking, you know, I really love my son, and I am a relational person. But I'm thinking, man, son, I got, I got, you know, I didn't say this, and I kept smiling. But I'm thinking, 
I gotta be up really early. I don't sleep good as it is. And I don't have time for this. And then, boom, some inside went, dong! This is a really teachable moment. Even though you don't feel like it, your young son right now wants to communicate with you. You may never get this back. You blow this mark. You start sending little messages like this. And one day, he won't want to be intimate anymore. That's just all it took. I just, Pop Muslim said, son, what, what, what's on your mind? So he just, we just started talking. He just started sharing with me. And man, it was one of those times, and I've had a number of them. It's one of those times of the father you just treasure. You just think, I never, never, ever, ever talk to my father about these things. In fact, I never talked to anybody about these things. And we're just interacting, and we're talking, and I just start bringing the word, sharing the word a little bit. He's going, yeah, Dad. Well, Dad, sometimes it's just so hard. I said, I know it's hard, son. I know it's challenging. Then we go over the scripture together. We pray. The next day, God gave me even more thoughts as I was praying for my kids. So I came back, and I said, son, come out here. I want to share something with you. So I shared with him a little story. A close friend of mine who let his life drift. It was a warning. It's a warning. That's one of the biggest things you do as parents, by the way. As you warn, you warn, you warn, you warn. Do it lovingly. Do it with tears. Do it with gentleness. Warn them, warn them, warn them. The world, I have a little note written to myself, the world is a treacherous minefield filled with the devil's snares. He takes great pleasure in blowing your arms and legs off. He'll ravage you and he'll ravage your kids. Warn them, warn them. Live an exemplary life. But... If you live a life that is, you think is pseudo-Christian, you really give a lot of time to your kids. Oh, they get all the time you want. You do all these things for your kids, but you are not involved building believers because you don't have time because you're always doing family time. And you don't have any time to reach out to a lost neighbor or a co-worker at work. You know what you just passed on to your kids? Selfish Christianity. They won't grow up with a mission. They won't grow up with the heartbeat of God, that the world is on God's heart, and that we need to be involved with fellow believers, loving them, bearing their burdens, encouraging them, serving them. They won't. They'll grow up just like you. They'll live just like you. They'll just be homebodies. But God didn't call us to be homebodies. There's times we need to be home. There's times we need to be focused. But my wife and I, we're a team. And we've been a team for almost 17 years. And I tell you right now, you think I've made sacrifices, my wife has made equally as many, if not more. The countless nights that I've not been home. The countless nights we have not gone to bed at the same time. In fact, we rarely go to bed at the same time. You don't have to live by that. You don't go to bed at the same time. I said to you, I'm just sharing these things with you. Many times my kids, I haven't been home. But I'll tell you what, if you all walked up to any one of my kids, and you can if you want. Say, Jessica, does your dad really love you? Do you believe it? Well, of course he loves me. They know I love him. They know I love him. When, when we lived in Ames, Iowa, there was no zoo, no place to go. There was, Iowa State University, there was dairy barns. So for quality time, with my little three-year-old, I'd take little Celeste, and we'd go see the baby calves. And I'd put her inside the little pen and little calves would suck her arm because they still see they're being weaned. And I remember, I don't know if you know, um, Guernseys, Guernsey, they're beautiful. They're like a little fawn. They have those big eyes and little sister, Daddy, I want to take her home. I said, well, she didn't realize how big it would get. 
Do you know? I've been doing things with my kids since they were two months old. Whether it was holding them on top of me and jiggling them and dogging them, gooing with them and pinching their cheeks. Whether it was sitting reading a book. Whether it was clipping their little fingernails, their toenails. was whatever. I've always made sure I have contact with them. I'm affectionate to them. I affirm them. I encourage them. But I'll tell you what. I can't be home seven nights a week. I never have been able. I can't. I can't be home five nights. I can't be home four nights a week. Three nights a week. Even before I was in ministry. My wife and I, you know one of the verses that God used, one of the reasons we got married, was the verse of Corinthians that says this. It's in the King James Bible because I was reading the King James back in those days. Paul's writing, he says, you've heard of the household of Stephanus, how they have addicted themselves to the service of the saints. And I remember Kathy and I looking at that Tears in her eyes said, God, that's how we want to live the rest of our life. It's our addiction. We're addicted to you. You can't get rid of us, see? You're our fix. I'm sorry. Nothing we can do. We've got to serve you because we love the Lord. You're our life. You're what our life is about. And our life was about you for we ever got paid for it. It was about the saved and about the lost. You need to be in a small group. It's time to quit vacillating. You need to be involved in the small group. You know why? This is not the place where you really get intimate fellowship. This is not the place where you really get to know the person next to you, know their problems, so you can even pray for them. That happens in small group. That's where you can bear one another's burdens, accept one another, love one another, rebuke one another, serve one another. In the list, there's about 30 or 40 of those commands. It's only when you're in an intimate group of people that you can share your life and use your gifts to bless them. I've been involved in those for 20 years. Non-stop. Never has there been a time in my 20 years where I've not been involved in somebody's living room with other brothers and sisters. It's been the greatest joy in my life. God wants you to be involved in ministering, whether it's the tape library, the little kids, whatever. We're helping the whole thing go so that others can hear about the Lord and others can grow. And we're figuring out on our little hit list at home five or six names of non-Christian people that we're praying for. And we're asking God to open a door of opportunity so I could share my faith, so I could reach out to them. And there's a whole set of tapes on winning ways. And if you're serious about it, get the tapes and you'll learn how to do these things. Then practically speaking, let me look at my list here. These are the priorities of God. I end with this verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 48. It's out of the Living Bible. It says, Whoever cares for one of these little ones cares for me. Whoever cares for me cares for the one who sent me. Your care for others is the measure of your greatness. Peter and John, the other disciples, they were arguing who's greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't put them down for that. It's a good desire to be great in the kingdom of God. Listen, I hope to God you have a passion to be great in the kingdom of God. I'll tell you how. Care for other people. Your care for others is the measure of greatness. How big is your heart? Get it bigger, alright? Now these, what I've tried to do the last few weeks is lay the foundation, the center, so that your house gets built on there, on that foundation. If you build on another foundation, you're mixed up. If you've been building on another foundation, leave it. And let's go to a new cabin and start over.
That's all you got to do. Don't have to cry. Don't have to get bummed out. Don't have to think, my gosh, I've wasted the last 10 years of my life. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. Forget it. Go home. Lord, I'm so glad I heard the truth. And I'm so glad I know the truth. And now I'm going to be so glad I'm going to do the truth. And just start building your foundation. And build on the solid ground. Keep these things in mind. In the weeks to come, we're going to get then into the practical things. How much to do. When to say no. Many of you need to learn to say no. How do I work some of these things in? my? i got a list of things. So, I want to lay this foundation. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we want to thank you tonight for the direction, the clear, absolutely clear direction your word gives us for living. And I ask you, Lord, that you would put in us a heart to know God, to realize that the greatest earthly joy we could ever experience is being in the presence of God. Personally. Walking with you, praying, being in your presence, reading your word, holding on to its precious promises. Man, Lord, we'd be amazed at what we could handle in life if we were just stronger in the Lord. We'd be amazed at how many responsibilities and how many people we could help if we were just stronger ourselves. I pray, Lord, you'd put the world on our heart. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize how many people right around us, even in this auditorium tonight, are right now even in pain. And they're hurting. And they need encouragement. I pray, Lord, that that would be our prayer. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing, O Lord, I pray. Lord, we pray that our lives would bless each other. That we be a company of people that love. That love one another. And that love the world. Help us to go home now and be doers. No more excuses. No more I wished, I wished, I wished. We're just going to give you our best effort, Lord. If we fall on our face, it's okay. We're going to get up. We're just going to keep right on running. In Jesus' name, amen.